week, we're going to try to give you guys like a little snippet teaching so you can understand why we give as Christians. Giving is an act that actually forms our souls. When you guys give, it's more than just to pay the bills of neighbor's church. And it's more than just charity that it's going to. When you choose to give out of what you've been given by God, it actually forms your soul and it brings you into alignment with God's kingdom. The contours of God's kingdom are shaped in your souls through the act of generosity, through the act of sacrificial generosity. And so all that we have been given has actually been given to us. And so an old word for that is we steward it. That is, we're managing what God has given us. And this act of giving reminds us that what we have is not actually ours. And so our soul is formed by generosity as we learn to care for others and our faith becomes more concrete. On that concrete piece, this Christmas, we're actually doing a donation drive for Red Light District sex-trafficked women down in Tijuana. And so Ali's heading that up for our little community. If this is something that you would like to give to, you can meet with Ali right afterwards over at the Connect table right out here on the way out underneath the tent. She can talk to you about the details, but we're going to be having a donation drive for coats and blankets uh, for those that have been trafficked and that are escaping trafficking. This is stuff that we want to, as Christians, be providing for. We who have been privileged with so much can provide for those who have not been protected, who have been unjustly treated, and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this way. So let me pray for our giving this morning. Father, thank you so much. And you know what we need as a church plant. You know what these women need. You know what this broken and unequal world needs. And the church exists as a community of equality and a community of generosity. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would form these souls, that they would take that step of radical faith and that they would deposit those treasures in heaven, not seeking treasures in this world where moth and rust destroy, but truly rewards in the kingdom come. And in so doing, Father, may their gifts bring about this church's thriving, that we might become a self-sustaining, multiplying, thriving community, caring for one another, but even more importantly, caring for those who have less than us, that we might concretely, tangibly give to those who have less and let humanity come just one step further, incrementally one step further into a place of equality where each person experiences their dignity and their wholeness as image bearers in you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. A couple other just quick announcements for you guys. It's really important if you're new to the church that you get involved in a community right now. We're going to be multiplying our communities in January. So right now we're just packing our communities out. And so if you would, the community leaders that are here, which is myself, Kim and Tom, uh, and is Sarah here? Yes. Could you guys just stand real quick so that everybody can see you? Yes. Right now, honestly, you guys, right now, Neighbors is like a, a mega small group. That's what we are right now. There's like 50 to 60. I don't know if everybody shows up. There's just under 100 of us. So we're like a mega, mega small group, which means everybody can get to know everybody. And it's so important. Uh, I stress this every week that you get involved in a community and they are going to be packed out. They're super full. Our group has like 30 people in it. It's ridiculous. But we're going to multiply in January. So right now, just brave the awkward moment of talking to somebody that you don't know and going into their home. We're meeting outside during COVID, all of these things. It's so, so 
vital. In January, we're actually going to do an entire series called Practicing Presence. Presence with God, presence with each other, and presence with the world. All of these types of things are going to be built into the DNA of our church plant. Two other quick announcements. Christmas Eve is coming, and we're going to be celebrating with our sending church, Park Hill. We'll be down in Point Loma with Park Hill, so Evan and myself and Shua and the crew, we're all going to get together as one big happy family. Think Christmas carols and candles, and we're in San Diego, so you wear light sweaters, all, all of those types of things. It's going to be amazing. And then also, just to get onto the calendar, at the end of December, we're going to be doing a church-wide Sabbath to kind of recuperate from 2020 and take a big, deep breath as we step into 2021. More details on that to follow. If you've turned in your Bibles to John chapter 7, I'll give us a quick prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to come and anoint these words. And for the teaching to really sink in deep, let me just start with this question. Do you feel utterly satisfied today? Don't, don't gloss over the question. Just allow the Holy Spirit to ask you, are you perfectly at peace today? Do you feel like your life is overflowing? My dear friend, as you're asking yourself that question and the Spirit is just communing with you, the promise of Jesus is that your life would literally be non-anxious, overflowing, full of peace, lavishly, joyfully lived. That's what this text is about today. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, anoint. Holy Spirit, fill. Gracious creator, be our God today. We open ourselves to you. We listen to you. We yield our hearts to you. And Father, we are head over heels in love with you. Jesus, Son of God, we are in love with you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is the first Sunday of Advent. And for those of you that are maybe unfamiliar with the liturgical church traditions and their calendars, the season of Advent is so beautiful and it is so powerful. Just by way of brief overview, different church traditions, particularly the liturgical church traditions, they follow a specific calendar through the year. And so during certain months, specific emphases are focused on. So you have the season of Lent, 40 days of fasting as you prepare for Easter and the crucifixion and resurrection celebration of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, the season of, of Easter week. Then there's the seasons, I love this, like post-Easter, what they call Easter tide and post-Christmas, Christmas tide. They just call that ordinary time. Like they have to make everything holy because everything is holy. So they just call this, these entire months, like through the summer is just called ordinary time, extra holy, ordinary time, super cool stuff. So the four weeks before Christmas is called the season of Advent, the season of Advent. The word Advent just means coming. That's all it means is coming. Advent looks back to the first coming of Jesus. And during this season, we revel in the fact that God embodied himself in flesh among us to save us. But Advent also in this season looks forward to the return of Jesus. He promised that he would come again to establish his physical reign over all the earth and over all the universe. And so in these four Sundays approaching Christmas, we reflect and we revel in the fact that God came among us and we look forward to and we anticipate that literal moment when Jesus returns to establish his physical reign in the world. So each of these four Sundays of Advent traditionally centers on a specific theme, hope, peace, love, and joy. And honestly, 
I cannot think of better themes for us as a church plant and as a community in 2020 to be meditating on as we head into the final weeks of this really terrible year. This year has just been awful. It was the great German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. We have all been troubled in soul through 2020. And what this year has shown us and made very clear is that despite our plans and strategies and 401ks, we are poor and we are imperfect and out of control. And certainly 2020 has produced in all of us a longing where we are looking forward to something greater to come. That is what Advent is all about, hope and peace and love and joy. So this morning we're starting with hope and we're going to source our teaching, as I said, in Jesus's declaration found in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. Please read with me. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now by this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. I grew up in Southern Idaho. Southern Idaho is high, arid desert. Most of us, when we think of Idaho, we think of beautiful alpine lakes and green, lush pine forests. That's where my brother is in Coeur d'Alene. That's northern Idaho. I grew up 10 hours south of there. And so you need to think bleak, bland colors, endless expanses covered in sagebrush and yellow cheatgrass, relatively flat land with the mountains way off in the distance, tons of coyotes, like coyotes everywhere, and very little green due to lack of water. Water in southern Idaho, because it is a high arid desert, is a precious commodity. But where you find water in the deserts of southern Idaho, you find literal miracles. I specifically grew up in an area called the Magic Valley, it came to be called the Magic Valley because the earliest settlers into that valley area, they devised ways to draw water from the Snake River, which ran through a canyon all through that huge valley, to irrigate their fields with. And in so doing, these bleak deserts were transformed into these incredibly fruitful crops and lands of abundance. And honestly, when you're flying into southern Idaho, like in the spring and all the crops are just now starting to come up, it is bizarre. It is magical looking. You have this bleak desert, like expansive desert. And then right in the center of these valleys are these huge swaths of green and lush, vibrant, fruitful crops. There's also these amazing, like deep, deep water springs, and they just pop up all over the place from the volcanic activity that was going on in that area millennia ago. This past summer, my dad and I, we actually were able to kayak back to one of the, the wonders of southern Idaho. It's this deep spring, freshwater spring called Blue Heart. And so from the deepest places in the earth, this spring like bubbles up. And when you get back in there on your kayak, it's like 15, 20 feet deep, but it is so crystal clear. This deep blue, tremendously cold, so refreshing, so absolutely beautiful. And all around it is like this oasis with herons and, and animals and beautiful lush 
you know, foliage, 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 whatever. Close enough. Rivers of living water, deep springs. Loved one, are you, are you satisfied today? Because this is what Jesus said we are as his people. This is what he declared. Jesus said that as believers out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And Jesus was talking about God himself, the Holy Spirit indwelling us and not only refreshing our parched and dry souls, but overflowing and miraculously bringing life into the deserts of the human experience as we partner with him. So here's our brief roadmap for the morning. We want to talk about the long-awaited hope for the Holy Spirit, this long-awaited hope that all of God's people had looked forward to, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Second, we'll talk about the invitation into and to receive the Holy Spirit. And third, we'll close with this morning, how does the rivers of the Holy Spirit grow and overflow in our personal lives? Let's start with the long-awaited hope for the Holy Spirit. And to really grasp what's going on here, to really grasp this hope that had been waited for by all of God's people, we need to see the setting in which Jesus made this particular declaration. Notice from verse 37 again in John 7, John tells us that it was on the last and the greatest day of the festival. This is such an important setting for Jesus' declaration. John chapters 7 all the way through chapter 10 begin a section of Jesus's life. It's really about the last year of his ministerial career. And it all takes place during the Jewish festival called the Feast of Tabernacles, or in our modern vernacular, the Feast of Tents. The Feast of Tents. This Feast of Tabernacles, it was instituted in the Old Testament, and it was associated with the fall harvest. And so the feast would run for seven days, and it was honestly the most popular of all the feasts. If you were a good little Jewish boy, you could not wait to get to Jerusalem in late October to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It was like our Christmas expectation. It was like the end of the year celebration. And this feast commemorated the provision of God for his people in their wilderness wanderings through the book of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The people remembered their history by living in tents throughout the seven days, just as their ancestors had wandered in the deserts without a homeland, just like us in our little tents here this morning. And so a focal point of these celebrations, and this is really important, there was a focal point every day, and it was a water, a water drawing symbol, a water drawing rite. It was performed every single day. Every day, the priests would go from the temple down to the pool of Siloam, down this road, to this fresh spring, and they would draw water and put it into this golden pitcher. Then they would walk with the procession of the worshipers and the celebrants back up to the temple. And as the people were going along, following the priest with the water that had been drawn from this deep spring, they would sing the verses from Isaiah 12. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Then as they approached the altar there at the temple mount, they would take that golden pitcher and they would pour the water out on the altar. What they were doing here is they were symbolically every day remembering the times in the wilderness when God had provided for them water from the rock. In their wilderness wanderings, in the deserts, in the barren places, God's people became thirsty to the point of death. 
They complained and grumbled and cried out to Moses. Moses cried out to Yahweh, to the God of the Old Testament. Yahweh told Moses, strike the rock. Moses struck the rock, and this hidden deep spring opened up, and pure, beautiful, blue, satisfying, saving water gushed forth. And so in this water rite, in the seven days of the Feast of Tents and Tabernacles, every day they would remember this moment where God had provided saving water from the deep rock and from the deep well. From the beginning to the very end of the Bible, the Bible uses this imagery of water and rivers and springs to create hope in God's people. Starting in Genesis, Genesis says that out of the Garden of Eden, these rivers flowed out into creation to refresh it, to renew it, to create lushness in it, to make it fruitful. All of the prophets, as you travel through all of the prophets, Ezekiel and Zechariah and Joel, they all use this imagery of the temple, God's meeting place with humans. And they would have these visions of a river flowing out of the temple. Ezekiel almost drowns in it in his vision. In Zechariah, the river would flow out of the temple and flow into the Dead Sea. And there, the Dead Sea, because of that fresh water, would become alive and vibrant. Springs, Isaiah would say, would burst forth in the deserts of Judea as God's presence came. All of this imagery, the rivers, the springs, the waters, the temple, all of it spoke of the Holy Spirit, God's presence. And as you were formed by these Old Testament scriptures, like all good Jewish people were, there was this aching, this looking forward to this outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. It was this collective longing and hoping for God's Holy Spirit to finally come. And so Jesus, on the last day, makes this profound declaration. And I believe he waited right till the moment till the entire procession came up, singing with joy you'll draw from the wells of salvation. They're pouring the water out and Jesus stands up in this moment and he says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He was emphasizing that the long-awaited Holy Spirit was going to be poured out and surprise of surprises, we believers would be the deep wells from which this water would flow. You, you would be the deep well from which this water would flow. In this moment, all of the history from Genesis all the way to Revelation had culminated as Jesus was declaring his followers to be a new Garden of Eden people from which rivers would go out into creation and cultivate lush, fruitful life. Jesus was declaring that believers, you and I, we now would be the new temple, the new, plate, the new meeting place between God and humans, the new dwelling place for God's presence. We, little temples, and out of us would flow these rivers into the dead seas of human experience to bring about new life. John notes here, it's so important that we see this. John is such a sophisticated and detailed writer. He makes a note for us to see Jesus' passion in this moment when he stands up to make this declaration. And that's the second point in our roadmap this morning, this invitation to hope that's given to you and I and to everybody on this planet. Jesus wanted his invitation to the hope of the Holy Spirit to be heard. Verse 37, the second half of it, on the last and great day of the festival, it says, Jesus said in a loud voice, in a loud voice, more literally in the Greek, he cried out at the top of his lungs with an immense amount of passion. His hands were flailing about. He was a good Pentecostal preacher getting after it in this moment. He literally 
screamed at this crowd as the water's being poured out on the last day of the festival because he wanted to make sure that he got the attention of everybody. Even as buses were passing by, he was like, you've got to hear this. You can't be distracted from this. I want you to have this. This was our king coming to save us and invite us into this amazing life that he has for us. He was heralding this declaration and this invitation to welcome the Holy Spirit into the midst of immense controversy and chaos. Guys, don't forget where we are in the story here. Remember, at this point in the Gospel of John, his disciples are deconstructing their faith, like full-on deconstructing their faith, and they are departing in droves. The crowds that are still with him, they're confused about him. Some think him to be a good man. Others think he's a total charlatan. We do see that the religious and the civil and the social authorities, they were adamantly opposed to him by this point. And they were actually already starting to plan his assassination. And so Jesus's invitation was made in a time of massive political, social, and psychological distress. Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles were splintered across ethnic and cultural class lines. Romans occupied, oppressed, overtaxed, and infringed on their subjects. There were these fringe extremist groups of zealots on both the right and the left spectrums of policy. And they were constantly staging these political coups. And comfort was being sought by all the masses in a myriad of different spiritualities, different gods were being served in the hopes of salvation being given. It was into this climate that Jesus declared and made this invitation. And to top it all off, that culture faced famine every day, the equivalent of our modern day financial recession. And then the final piece was they were in constant fear of plague, the constant threat of plague. Does any of this sound familiar to any of us? Ethnic divisions, social fabrics being torn apart, overbearing, tyrannical, I don't care where you are on the governmental spectrum, but dangerous government things happening. Plague, famine, financial recession. And so Jesus, in this critical moment, he stands with a loud voice and he said it. He cried out to penetrate all the chaos and the controversy that's just constantly in our ears. He did not want this invitation to be missed. What I love about Jesus is that this invitation was extended to every person within his hearing distance. This was an invitation for them to drink from an oasis and to become an oasis. Jesus was inviting everyone to be filled with his presence and become a source of miraculous, miraculous, lush life. That's hard to say too. He spoke in a loud voice, though, not only, you guys, to penetrate the outward chaos and all the controversy and all the coups and all the, all the politics. He was like, listen, there's an invitation. It wasn't only that. He knew he needed to penetrate, really, the inward cacophony of shame and condemnation that we all deal with. That sense of constant guilt and being wrong, not being good enough, not being beautiful enough, not being valuable enough. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, I want to invite you to no longer listen to those narratives. Saying no matter who you are or what background you come with, or no matter how broken or how hopeless or how angry or how afraid, Jesus' invitation would penetrate through all the noise of the cultural moment and our guilt-stained conscience. He would just penetrate through it to generate new hope, to, to break open the rock of our hearts and make our flesh soft, 
that we might become conduits of his presence, conduits of his grace, conduits of his love. Which brings us to our third and final point this morning. How, if we've heard the invitation of Jesus and we've said, I want that, I want fullness of life. I want to be a non-anxious presence. I want to have a smile on my face no matter what's going on around me or even no matter what's going on inside of me. How does this river of hope and the Holy Spirit, how does this river grow and how does this river come to overflow? We'll just work our text and wrap up with communion. First and foremost, we have to feel our thirst and let, us, let it drive us to Jesus. For it to overflow, you have to know you're thirsty. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. Our bodies and our need for water, is, it's really without measure. It's, it's, it's without measure. We are, as Shua already said, primarily made of water. And so even subtle dehydration can make us feel hungry. It inhibits our brain function. It increases fatigue. It inflames our joints and tissues. It increases our blood pressure. Even the slightest amount of dehydration can begin to create general mental and physical decline. And our bodies, they are highly tuned miracles. Here's the deal. If we feel thirsty right now, the moment we begin to feel thirsty, we're actually in the early stages of dehydration. Our body so needs water that it cues the, the signs for dehydration early so that our body will go and get some fluid as fast as possible. And our souls are even more sensitive than our physical bodies. Fatigue, apathy, anxiety, depression, fear, discontent, envy, lust, rage, shame, guilt, in some cases, even physical ailments. These are all those subtle and sometimes not so subtle thirst markers of soul dehydration. These are the signals that the waters of the Holy Spirit's presence are needed to refresh and renew and fill and purify and cleanse and make whole. I don't know if you guys have ever been destitute for water. I've been on some backpacking trips, actually in the canyons of deep southern Idaho with a buddy of mine, Jace. And we got out there like a couple dumb high school kids forgot water and we're like two days in and we're like, oh my gosh. If you've ever been without water, you freak out. Like you start to freak out, especially if you're out in the deserts of southern Idaho. And what, what destitution for water does is it makes you absolutely desperate. You will do whatever it takes to find liquid to get it into your system because you're terrified. Desperation like this, though, when we feel it in our souls, we tend to distract ourselves from it. We tend to, try, we tend to kind of try to fill it up with either more work, more entertainment, more recreation, more religion, when instead God would say that thirst, that desperation, that growing need, that lack of content, that lack of peace, that continually growing anxiety, those are all things that I want you to feel because the more destitute you feel for true spiritual refreshment, the better off we're going to be because then, like a human that's destitute for water, we will do whatever it takes to find that satisfaction. We'll quit playing games with it. We'll quit being distracted and trying to act like it's not there. When we feel our spiritual thirst, we will do what it takes to find satisfaction. And that's a good thing. 
Thirsty humans do whatever it takes to get water. They seek it relentlessly. And so feeling our spiritual thirst, that is what actually intensifies our practices, the practice of stillness and the practice of service, the practice of silence and the practice of godly speech, the practice of solitude and the practice of being in community, the practice of Bible reading, Bible meditation, the practice of worship, the practice of church attendance, the practice of fasting and prayer. These things intensify when we feel our thirst because we will do whatever it takes to find Jesus, to be filled with Jesus, to be made whole in Jesus. And that's actually a very good thing. The worst case scenario for a soul is if you don't feel any thirst today at all. To not feel any thirst at all is the moment for the physical body when the thirst ceases you're so dehydrated, you're going to die. That's what happens. And so the moment that I say something like that, if you find yourself saying, oh my gosh, I want to feel thirsty. There it is. That's God. That's God opening up the heart. That's God saying, come and drink deeply. Oswald Chambers wrote this. God can do nothing for me if I'm sufficient for myself. When we come to the place of destitution spiritually, we find the Lord waiting and saying, if any man thirst, let him come. And so let's let the signs of spiritual thirst drive us to Jesus and into these practices, the practices that open up the flow of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Second, the river grows and it overflows when we come to Jesus and we come to nothing else but Jesus as our hope. We have a choice from which well we will drink and fill ourselves. We are not victims. We are thinking choosing volitional beings. We have a choice to engage with the practices that fill us with the spirit and guide us close to God and each other, or a choice to not do those things. We have a choice about what we will come to for satisfaction and ultimately for salvation. And so in this current moment, we can either be terrified or put all of our hope into president-elect Joe Biden or we can put all of our hope into the vaccine, which I'm super hopeful for. But not all of my hope is in the vaccine. We can put all of our hope and joy and satisfaction into the economy coming back or a thousand other things. But all of those are empty or tainted or poisoned or toxic wells because they cannot satisfy the human soul's thirst for union with God to be those garden people walking with him in the cool of the day, to be the new temples, the dwelling place of God. None of those wells will ever satisfy and fill and overflow as will union, intimate oneness with God. Therefore, in any and all circumstances, good, bad, beautiful, and ugly, we come to Jesus alone as our satisfaction and as our source of salvation. Again, Chambers, he's so helpful. He says, Jesus Christ knows our circumstances better than we do. And he says, we must not think about these things, these false sources of hope, new presidents, vaccines, more money, better relationships, maybe some fame. We must not think about these things to the point where they become the primary concern of our lives. Whenever there are competing concerns in our lives, be sure always to put your relationship to God first. Third, the river grows and overflows as we believe, as we believe. You guys, this is so important. And at a church like Neighbors, this is like one of our key vision pieces that you actually learn what belief means. Belief is more than just an intellectual decision to say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. 
Belief is a lifelong process. Notice that Jesus says, it's not just from our brains that, are, that this flows. It's not just from decisions intellectually about Jesus from where all this joy comes. No, he says from our innermost being, these rivers will flow from the deepest parts of our volition, from the deepest parts of our will and desires, from the innermost parts of our being. Belief does begin with a choice about who Jesus is and a choice to surrender to him. But over time, incrementally, slowly but surely, belief begins to permeate the whole of our being because belief is really an act of surrender. Belief is an act of yielding. Belief is an act of trusting. And over time, every facet of our existence incrementally surrenders more of our own will to the will of Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so belief is the willingness to let God carry us wherever he will, actively trusting in his loving intentions for our life. Psychiatrist Gerald May, he explains that we overflow by a spirit of willingness, a willingness to surrender, to relax our autonomy, to allow the God who is beyond us and the God who is now within us to rule our lives and destines as once we relied upon our own personal willpower. This necessarily, May says, this necessarily involves the most profound openness to love and an unending thirst for even more. We love, we are loved, and we reflect and manifest a love that is utterly beyond our capacity to will. So here, with our hearts and minds given in surrender, with the special courage that is born of true humility, with acceptance for ourselves and each other, that's where true hope is, May says. Finally, we'll close with this. For the river to grow and overflow, as we wrap up 2020 here in this Advent season, as we look forward to 2021, if Jesus does not return, for that river to grow and overflow, I would invite you to commit to 2021 being a year of just glorifying Jesus. Like full send. I just really, my team says that I say full send all the time. I'm an old bungee jumping, backcountry skiing, parachuting guy. And so full send was in my vocabulary from a very early age. But full send this year. Drinking deeply from the well of Jesus is your sole source of satisfaction and joy. This is your choice this year. Right here as we wrap up this gnarly, gross year, 2020. Jesus wants to overflow and grow this river out of your innermost being. By this, he meant the spirit, verse 39 of John 7, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. God would go on to glorify Jesus after his death by raising him from the dead. And so on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. It's one of the seven statements of the cross. What Jesus did is he took on the ultimate thirst. He thirsted all the way to death in our place so that we could then come and be free and drink eternally from the waters of the Holy Spirit, have been cleansed of our guilt or shame or fear. His love for us was so great. He said, I will take your thirst into myself. 
I will absorb those deserts that full garden life might erupt out of you. And because of the cross and forgiveness and grace, and because of the resurrection, we now honor Jesus. We publicly declare our devotion to him. This is what it means to glorify him. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus. If we wrap up 2020 and we seek this growing, overflowing presence of the rivers of God's Holy Spirit coming out of us, then we make 2021 a year to publicly declare our devotion and our allegiance to him, to honor him in all that we do, to glorify him. And this is the fundamental emphasis of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus's work on the cross, his resurrection and his coming reign. And so to overflow with that river of love is for this year for us to say, I'm going to live my life for Jesus's glory alone. Come what may, come more political shenanigans, more social unrest, come more plague, more pain. Daily, I am deciding now to overflow with this, with this acknowledgement. Jesus is king. My allegiance is to him. And though he slay me, I will worship him with great joy. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit just bursts forth. And that which you've longed to be satisfied with, the joy you've longed to experience, comes out of nowhere and washes through you and overwhelms you. As we do this daily, just like they took the the pool of Siloam, spring water, and poured it out daily to remember, as we daily remember the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, as we daily devote and commit and declare our allegiance to him to bring glory to him for that day, for that moment, slowly over time, we become these people who are just torrents of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. All as a means of making much to Jesus around us. The parched people that God sends you to this week, you get to go and become that river of love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. And you don't muster it, you surrender to it. You don't make it happen, you receive it. This is the act of Christianity, the great joy of the gifts that God has given to us. Sure, friend, you can come on up. We're gonna come to communion this morning. We take communion every Sunday at Neighbors, if you're new here. Communion for us is much like that water rite in the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a a physical symbol to remind us of spiritual realities that have already come to pass. And I opened us with the question, and I'll close us as we come to communion this morning. Are you thirsty? What are you thirsting for? What well are you trying to drink from and find peace and satisfaction in? Jesus cries out directly to you this morning, directly from his spirit to your spirit saying, come, if you are thirsty, come and drink, come and believe, come and be refreshed. Come and declare your allegiance to him again, anew and afresh this morning. As we enter into a time of worship. Uh, My wife will come forward and she'll have communion elements up here, little packages with bread and wine. And um, as always, I would just invite you to uh, come forward and grab the communion elements and then return to your, return to your seat. And we're just gonna, we're just gonna slow things down a little bit. You know, it's interesting to me in Southern Idaho, 
You can be flying along on the freeway out on um, 84. You can be doing 80 miles an hour out there and all you see is desert. And you're flying right past like these little pockets, these little oases that are created by these deep water springs. And you're just moving so fast you don't see it. All you see is sagebrush and coyotes and it's bleak and awful. But if you would slow down just a little bit, just pull off to the side of the road and start walking, you'd notice, oh, what's that green patch over there? And then if you slow down even a little bit more and you actually walk over to it, you realize, oh my gosh, there's like a, there's a spring here erupting out of nowhere and there's all this life that I missed at 80 miles an hour. That is so the modern Christian. And so if you need, if you need to rush off today, please don't feel any shame or worry about that. But I, I want to invite us this morning, you know, we're a brand new church plant. We're like a mega sized community group. We can spend time together and we can, um, we can care for one another. We can pray together. We can invite the Holy Spirit to come and be the God who shapes us without flying on through the rest of our day on the freeway and missing these oases. And I want to encourage you as we come to communion this morning, God has overflowing abundance that he wants to flow out of you to somebody else today. There's some word, there's some smile on your face that he wants to use you. There's some encouragement. There's some moment where you have the peace of the Holy Spirit and somebody who's just having a rough go today, you're able to say, may the peace of Jesus be upon you right now. And just, he wants, you're here today to be used, not just to receive, but to be giving. And that is how we become these conduits, just always ready for God to move through us and, and shape us.